Let's pray together. Our gracious uh, heavenly God who spoke the first word and invited us into, uh, into your worship here this morning, we ask that you speak another word into our lives uh, this week. Uh, God, we've just sung that uh, you're fighting for us always. You're on our side. God, you, you are creating us and recreating us all the time to be, um, to, be, uh, to be more and more like you and your son, Jesus Christ. God, uh, this morning as we open up your word, we ask that you help us to do just that, to reflect your glory and your, uh, your son that much more. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, I had a, uh, an opportunity, or a conversation rather, this week that was too good not to share it uh, with you all. Uh, so, uh, with permission, of course. Um, but, and I, I don't mean that sarcastically, even though it sounded like it. But, <laughs> so, uh, one, two weeks ago now, somebody uh, came up and, and asked me if I wanted to uh, head out to this, uh, it's a corporate kind of golf outing. So you kind of head out, they rent the course, shut it down, and you sort of like golf and eat all day. It's an, it's an awesome time. And the comment, and I share that with you for two reasons. Number one is just to let everybody know that I accept invitations to go golfing. But along with that is, uh, is a comment that came along with it about a week and a half to say, hey, um, I, when I introduce you <laughs> to like work friends, maybe I'm just going to introduce you as a friend of mine and maybe keep the lid on the pastor stuff for like the first couple of holes. Is, is that cool? You have no idea how cool that is with me. <laughs> Because I know that when the question comes out, like, hey, what do you do for a living? And things start to, to get weird rather quickly. Um, it's, it's like this reputation sort of goes before, right? Where people uh, immediately like, conjure up all these very distinct and hard-to-break images about who you are and maybe what you spend your time with and what you like and what you don't like and the kind of people you like and the kind of people you don't really like. And, and the, the, the problem is, at least for me, is that it, it feels like it puts me in this box or this area that, that I have a very difficult time breaking out of. Now, I share all this with you simply to say, I don't think I am the only one with that problem. Because I'm guessing there's going to be a few people in the room who also have an issue with like going out to eat with somebody new or, or meeting somebody. And there's this latent question kind of running through in the back of the mind like, what are they going to think? What are they going to, what kind of image is going to come to mind when they find out I'm a Christian? And, and not just like a spiritual kind of like, yeah, I guess if I were to identify it, I'd identify with maybe this. Or, no, no, no. Like seriously, a Christian, somebody who goes to church, somebody who, who gives to church, serves in some, some sort of way. The kind of Christian who, who actually believes that Jesus Christ came into the world he, he taught us how to live. He died so that we could live with him forever. And then he came back to life. I mean, it sounds ridiculous when you say it out loud. What are people going to think? What kind of box are they going to put me in when they find that out about me? For those of you who are, you know, kids worshiping with us for the summer, it's awesome. Uh, you guys might be heading out to a summer camp or somewhere new where you're meeting all kinds of new friends. And you're going to be confronted with this time where, where people are going to find out that, that you're a Christian, that you love Jesus. And you might kind of wonder, how are they going to react to that? Your parents probably have the same issue, meeting somebody new. You know, when you're like going out to eat with a, with a new couple, you know, friends started playing together, and you kind of get hit it off, I guess. You kind of want to get to know them a little bit, especially if the kids are different genders, because you're like, they could be going to prom someday or something. And, you know, we want to, maybe that's just me. Um, <laughs> and you're in the car going out to dinner, 
And there's like this pregame kind of conversation, like, you know, a huddle that happens. It's like, honey, now usually when the food comes, like we'll like close our eyes and maybe say a silent prayer. Sometimes we even hold hands and say a prayer out loud. It's just a habit that we've gotten into. We don't even know if, these, if they're Christians. What are they going to think of us? Are we going to do that? Are we, is that weird for them? Are they not? Well, what if they do and we don't? I mean, they were, we're supposed to be in ministry. Like what does that say about us? What are they going to think? for good or for bad, when they find out that we're Christians. Maybe if you're worried about like reputations or you're worried about what you're communicating, sometimes, sometimes it's, uh, it's kind of the opposite uh, situation. Or it's a long week combined with a very, very short fuse. It just tends to like blow up on the... You know, um, just this, this sweetest guy, retail associate that had no proud, no, no like fault in this at all. It's just been entirely that terrible of a week. And just after maybe blowing up and saying something that you, know, you probably shouldn't have done, somebody like comes up behind and says, hey, it's so good to see you again. Hey, we're going to catch each other at church, right? And you're like, oh, yeah, I'll see you at Kenwood Community on Sunday morning. no. That's terrible. There are brothers and sisters. You kind of wonder all the time, like there's a script that has in the back of your mind. What what is my reputation going to communicate? What's going to go before me? What kind of a box am I going to have a really hard time breaking out of? And I just want... I want to share with you that I don't think you're the only person, even in this room, who's wondered about those things. In fact, even more than all of that, I think that there is someone who, who bears this label of Christian in such an inescapable way that he cares even more than we ever even could. I'm talking about Jesus, title, the Christ. Who it's, it's like this label has been tattooed on him and he can't escape it. Even though, even though his contribution sort of lasted a very long time ago, but, but now the modern kind of uh, understanding of what that label means is really from all of us. And, and he just cringes sometimes, I think, when, when people who bear that title do things and it reflects on his character, on who he is as a person, and of course the reputation that he has that goes, that goes in front of him. So we're going to go to a few places in the Bible that, that shows us just how Deeply, God cares about his own reputation. And along with that, we're going to try to tease out some of the nuances within it. And, and of course, what, what do we do about it now that we know that he actually does care a great deal? Now, some of the problem, I'll admit, comes into this. Where we don't see oftentimes in the Bible just how much God cares about his own reputation because it's, it, it, it's nuanced. It's kind of embedded into the Jesus culture of the day. And, and when we look at Jesus like a 21st century like spiritual guru, we, we kind of miss it. So this series, Finding the Kosher Jesus, is about us as a community trying to uncover, trying to, and this is the name of the series, find the kosher Jesus. Trying to forget about who we think Jesus is and trying to realize who Jesus actually is, a first century rabbi. And maybe some of those like weird or quirky or, or maybe, maybe mildly uh, or directly offensive statements of Jesus start to make a little bit more sense to us. That's the goal. 
Now, we'll evaluate whether or not we hit it, you know, long after I'm done. Maybe I like, you know, going out with somebody new. You can talk about it. But we're going to go on the front of the flow sheet, some Bible passages. They're also going to be on the screen behind. I encourage you to follow along either on the, the sheet or on the screen. This one comes from Matthew 6, 9 to 10. And these are, uh, these are words of Jesus that he says in the, mid, in the middle, uh, about exactly in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. And it's the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus is obviously going to go on and he's going to finish uh, the rest of the Lord's Prayer to teach us how to pray, especially, I think, when, when we don't have the words to pray. But that's a series for another time, coming to you fall 2014, Red Letter Prayers. Look for it. See you then. Um, but this line is a curious one, uh, especially, you know, and if you're the note-taker type, you can kind of underline, hallowed be your name. And as questions kind of come up, like, what does it mean to hallow the name of God? Why would he pray something like this? And you think, I don't, I don't really get, in our culture, what he's talking about. But I'm going to grant him that maybe in his day and age, it did make sense. So we see a couple of things come up. First of all, there's the word hallow that we don't use very often, um, and, and, and name, which we do, but it doesn't seem to fit the context here. Hallowed be your, your name. Why do we care so much about his name? Earlier I mentioned um, three kind of uh, items as it relates to, to, to kind of the reputation or what goes before us when people find out we're a Christian. And, and I mentioned the three things of there's like somebody's character, and there's the person themselves, and, and then there's the reputation itself. The way that the Bible kind of refers back to someone's name, I picked those two because it really hits on those three things often. And in our pursuit of trying to figure out like who Jesus really was, not just to us, but, but who he was back then, as soon as he says the word name, it's like these, these images or these maybe Bible verses start like popping up into his listener's mind to say, oh yeah, I think he's, I think he's talking about character and others. Might, I think he's talking about like the person. I, know, I think he's talking about the reputation of God. And, and some smart aleck in the back is going, guys, he's talking about all three, right? Spoiler alert. Um, First of all, there's this idea of somebody's character. I mean, it's all in the Old Testament, so, you know, I'm not making it up. Not that you would think I am anyway, but um, there's these stories in the Old Testament, particularly the story of, uh, of Jacob. It's just, it's an awesome one to talk about somebody's, the name as it relates to their character. So kind of uh, latter half of the book of Genesis, there's a story where um, Jacob is, is wrestling with someone. Now the text doesn't tell us exactly like who it is. It's kind of mysterious. It could be a man. It seems like it's kind of like an angelic figure. You know, it, it seems like maybe too it's God himself. But he's wrestling all night long, all night wrestling. There's a river nearby and then the sun starts to come up. And at dawn, he, he's got this person, this stranger in a, in a hold. And the guy says, hey, let me go. And Jacob says, curiously enough, he goes, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And the person asks, what's your name? If you're one of Jesus' disciples or if, or if you're embedded enough in the Jewish community and you know these stories so well, you know, as soon as you get to that part, what's your name? That's a good one because of who Jacob is and, and what his name is. 
You know, he was born as the younger uh, in the set of twins. His older brother Esau was born, and then minutes later, or, or seconds later rather, Jacob was born. And, and he, he was born like grabbing onto the heel of his older brother Esau. And so as soon as uh, it take, came time to name him, mom and dad gave him the name Jacob, which means heel grabber. It's a, it's a weird, it's a, a Hebrew euphemism to describe someone like a supplanter or somebody, somebody who sidles in and, and takes the place, the rightful place of, of someone else. It's not a positive phrase, but it's real. It's who they saw Jacob was, and more than that, it's what was in his character. And now, it, the story came out to be exactly true on so many levels because a little while later after that, Jacob sneaks in while Esau is out in the field and, and dad is, is, he's on his kind of last leg here, so to speak, and, and he's, he's going blind, he can't see, and he's not maybe like totally there and, it, and it's time to give away the oldest brother portion of the inheritance. And so Jacob, not being the oldest, sneaks in. He's got like animal fur on his hands because like that's how hairy his older brother Esau was. And he sneaks in and dad says, who are you? Or literally, what's your name? And Jacob says, I'm Esau. Owning the name Jacob, he, heel grabber, supplanter, so someone who sneaks in and, and takes what, what rightfully belongs to someone else. Now he's got a long history of that in the stories, but, but at the end when he's wrestling with his angel and the angel asks him, who are you? What's your name? This time he owns it. This time, after this long history of supplanting other people, of, of taking what belongs to them, he says, I'm Jacob. Almost as if to reply, I'm Jacob and I'm not proud of it. I'm heel grabber, I'm supplanter, I'm someone who takes things that belong to other people. And now we find out that it's the Lord he's wrestling with as God says, no, you're not. From now on, and here's the point for the character, from now on, your name isn't going to be someone who takes things from other people. Your name is going to be Israel. And that's one that sticks. The character changed. I won't bore you with all the list of people in the Bible that God reaches in and, and changes the names of people. But sometimes names don't have to be changed. Sometimes the names are just there all the time and they have like this deep depth to them, this richness to them. Saul was born into a, in the New Testament, a Jewish family and a Pharisee. So it's like Pharisee of Pharisees. I mean, he is a religious person is an understatement, but he's also born as a Roman citizen. And so he's, he's from birth. He just has two names. He didn't change his name at all. It was just given to him. There's Saul, his Jewish name, and there's Paul, his Greek name. And then when God literally meets him on the road, Jesus meets him there and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He like does this 180, like turns them around, both physically, because he's on the road to persecute some people, and metaphorically, kind of figuratively, his heart turns it around. And now instead of like persecuting the Christians, he's one of them. And his distinct mission is to bring this message of Jesus to everybody, to every nation. And he owns the name, not Saul, but Paul. Because his ministry now 
is not to the Jewish people, but to the rest of the world. He owns it, and there's depth to the name, to the name change. One more, Jesus, this one's awesome, but it's not related, but anyway, you'll like it. Jesus is a, is a name, in Greek, Yesu, in Hebrew, it means Yeshua, uh, or it's pronounced Yeshua. It, it means salvation. Oh, fun story, Jesus is walking by down the road, and, and um, there is Zacchaeus, who's a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, who's in a tree, and Jesus says, come on down, tax collector Zacchaeus, you know, I'm, I'm going to head on over to your house today. And so Jesus goes over there, Zacchaeus is not just any tax collector kind of slash extortionist, no, he's like the head of the region, tax collector slash extortionist, I mean, dude is wealthy. And, and meeting Jesus and, and having him over to dinner with his, with his tax collector buddies, Zacchaeus declares, I'm done. You know what? I'm giving half of everything that I have, which, which was a lot. I'm giving half of what I have to the poor. And the other half, if I've ripped somebody off, and we, we know that he has, if I've ripped anybody off, I'm going to pay him back four times what I took for them, presumably taking care of the other half of his wealth. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. And his tax collector buddies are going, Yeshua, yes, you invited yourself over. (laughs) Salvation has come to this house. It's clever. I think if you met Jesus, you would like him. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Back to the point. Sometimes the name refers to, to to the depth or lack thereof, of someone's character. Hallow the name of God. Sometimes name refers to the person, him or herself. As it relates to God, there's a few passages uh, on the screen and also on the sheet from Proverbs, where the proverb writer says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Now, of course, the author here doesn't mean that the name was like spelled out in tower walls. No, he's talking about the name of the Lord. It is, is a word that you, is, is switched in for the Lord himself. He's a strong tower. You can run to him and you'll be saved. Just like it in Psalm 75, verse 1. He says, we praise you, God. We praise you for your name is near. And it's capitalized, which is awesome because it describes this is the one. It's not just that the name is near. It's that the Lord is near Name refers to character. Name refers to the person itself. And then name sometimes refers to the reputation that goes before. This one's important for our text this morning. When Jesus says, this is how you should pray. And he goes on to say, hallowed, or making holy, sanctified, be your name the reputation that you have. The expression is a common one. Personally, I have not heard people use the phrase, hello it, or, you know, hello the name of... That is not familiar to me, and probably not to you either. But for Jesus, and for Jesus' audience, they would have clued in on this. This would have made sense to them. Because two expressions, both to hallow the name of something and then its opposite, to profane the name of something, was something that the people talked about often. What it meant to follow after God. Are you profaning the name or are you hallowing the name of God, the, the reputation of God? 
You may have heard about profaning the name in Exodus 20 when the people um, go to the base of Mount Sinai. Moses goes up and he comes down with the stone tablets, the Ten Commandments carved in stone by God's finger. And the second one on the first tablet says, you shall not profane the name of the Lord. Or as some of the Bible say, you shall not misuse or handle flippantly the name of the Lord. Now, now sometimes we've made the mistake, the error of, of talking about this commandment as if it were like, like a prohibition against, against swearing or, or using foul language. And admittedly, in the scheme of things, in the scheme of the commandments where you've got adultery, you've got stealing, you've got murder in the, in the commandments, I mean, swearing is probably not like super high on the list. Yet in the commandments, this is the only one in Exodus that comes with a punishment attached to it. God cares about how we treat his name. God cares about what kind of box goes ahead of you and me when we identify ourselves as Christians, as followers of him, carrying his label. He cares deeply about that. So much so that throughout the the whole Bible. And even more than that, if we use the Bible to refer to, to God's story of creation, of everything, I would say that profaning the name or, or hallowing the name is one of, if not the most central theme that comes out in the Bible. If you will be gracious enough to indulge me in a five-minute history of God, people, and the universe, I'd love to share a few thoughts. You don't have a choice. Definition of captive, lock those doors. Um, Genesis chapter 1. There's lots there, but this one is, is what I, uh, one of them that I love for, for this. God said, let us make man, mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and the livestock, and the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. I just have to repeat one more time. Make mankind in our image. At the time when these words were written down, the oral tradition was, was long too, but when, when these words were written down, there were images, this, this phrase was a common one. There were images of deities like everywhere. You go into a new place in the new land and it marked the borders of the place or a city of, of which nation or which people group it would belong to by putting up images of the people who were in charge. So if you go into a town near in Babylon or somewhere near it, you'd start to see like pictures of Hammurabi with his like curly you know, beard and, and pictures like cave paintings, it looks like, of military victories that, that the Babylonians won to communicate, hey, 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 Hammurabi, he might not be around But rest assured, you know who's in charge. When the Israelites tell their story, the story isn't just that there's like, that their God has some stone statues or images of of military victories on the wall somewhere. No, no, no. These people are saying, in our story, God created people, men and women, to carry his image. So forget about the stone statues. Wherever you see another human being taking a breath, it may not seem like God is near. It may not seem at times that he's in charge, but rest assured, God has authority in this place. And you're his representation 
I'm the image. I carry. I carry that reputation with me. So do you. Uh, Fast forward. This is what Sinai, we just mentioned in Exodus, was all about when God God carves out uh, his people. By the way, Genesis is a crazy story. It it seems like it's a family story that would make um, Jerry Springer blush, but the story is about God teasing out of just the messiness and the crumminess in the world. I mean, it has to be crude because he's, he has to tell us just how twisted and, and messed up this world is so that by the time we get to Exodus, we can have this appreciation for, for God handing his law or his instruction down from the mountain and say, in every other nation in this world, you're going to see people hand over their babies and their children to be sacrificed in the fire. You will not see that here among my people because this people in the of God are going to be a light to the nations, to everybody else in the world. We're going to show them how life ought to be lived. And everybody who comes within your borders, within this place, the people that I have distinctly carved out, you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is hospitality and there is grace here. And their God is a God of hospitality and of grace. Follow these instructions. As as time goes by, the people, they could not keep it together. They could not be repre- good representatives of God. They could not give God the, the reputation that he so deserved. So he sent his son himself into the world. God came in, being born into a full of grace and full of truth to show what does it look like for a human being to be so full of grace that everybody feels comfortable inviting him or her to a golf outing or going out to dinner, no matter what it was like. What does it look like for a human being to be so full of truth that he or she does not compromise in the midst of, of that atmosphere, that environment? I said that there was two phrases to profane the name and to hallow the name. In first century Judaism, people understood what it means to hallow the name of God by three ways. The first one was just to simply lead a life of integrity. But going above and beyond that, you would risk your life to save someone else's. The third ultimate expression of what it means to hallow the name of God was to actually lose your life, either to honor God or to save someone else's life. Just let the weight of Christ's words just rest on your heart. When he says, you should hallow the name, hallowed be his name. Make that reputation as holy as it should be. Knowing that a few years later, he would be losing his life to both honor God and to save ours. I just, I wonder if that changes things. I wonder if that changes a golf outing. I wonder if that changes dinner. I wonder if that changes today or the week at all. What if, don't just, think about what's probable, but just for a few seconds, imagine what is possible with God. What if, 
walking into that environment, that meeting, the new friends, whoever it might be, what if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that when you said that you follow Jesus and you consider yourself to be in him, what if the reputation that came out was this is somebody who cares so deeply, they love me just as much as they love themselves? What if when they heard that about you, that they immediately thought, I-, I know that I can welcome them here in this place. This might not be an environment that they really appreciate or like to be around, but this person exudes such depth of grace that I know that I can invite them here as it actually is. I don't have to, I don't have to change. But what if they also knew that you exhibited some, something inside of you that was so full of truth that even though you... Even though you didn't like what was going on there, you wouldn't compromise yourself by being there. What could be? How would that change everything? We believe that Jesus acted, that final act of of heroism, honoring, hallowing the name of God making his reputation as holy as it ought to be. If you need a challenge this week, find a way to be full of grace, full of truth, but also full of grace, but also full of truth. Find a way to be in Jesus Christ, to point others toward him. I invite you to stand up. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, this precarious balance of grace and truth, we confess that we don't always get this right, is that we don't represent you well all the time. And we don't give you the reputation that you so deserve to, to be the one who not only made us, but saved us. God, uh, we ask by your Holy Spirit that you will tweak something in our hearts, that you will open something that has been closed for a long time, that you will you'll create a way for us to demonstrate to those who may not know you yet that there is grace and there's truth in you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.